All right, we'll just skip it. I'll use the pulpit. I hope you can hear me. I'll try to stay home as much as possible. All right, Luke chapter 2. If you got your Bibles in Luke chapter 2, I want you also to grab your hymn book uh, there in front of you and turn to page 88. Page 88, if you would. Page 88. <clears throat> Charles Wesley in 1739, a year after his conversion, uh, wrote this hymn for us, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that uh, Dad unwittingly alluded to just a little bit ago. Uh, and we will conclude with, uh, with this hymn, and I hope that it means more to you uh, when we do. Uh, but in 1739, a year after his conversion, Charles Wesley uh, wrote this hymn for us. Uh, and I believe that he wrote it as a... Uh, as an expository, if you will, or an expansion uh, on the record that we have from Luke chapter 2 uh, where the angels come and visit uh, the shepherds. Just for history, uh, the version that we sing today has been edited several times, most notably by George Whitfield in 1753. He was a powerful preacher uh, and a friend of the Wesley brothers. Uh, and originally the hymn was entitled, Hark How All the Welkin Rings. So uh, you can be glad that George Whitfield did edit uh, some of this uh, to, to kind of help us out a little bit. As the story goes, uh, Charles Wesley uh, was a man uh, full of big words, uh, right, and, and full of, of good doctrine and that kind of thing. And, and George Whitfield kind of brought us down uh, to earth for us a little bit. Originally... Uh, being entitled, Hark How All the Welkin Rings. Welkin uh, is an archaic English term for the highest celestial uh, sphere, just to kind of give you a little uh, tidbit of knowledge there. But I want us to read Luke 2, uh, and then I want us to look as we walk through uh, our hymn books. And uh, Sean, if you'll bring me one, that would be uh, beneficial to me. Uh, we usually have them up here, but I don't, I, I'm missing all my stuff this morning. Thank you, buddy. All right. So let's read Luke 2, verse 8. Verse 8, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all, all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But they kept all these things and pondered them in, but Mary, excuse me, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful, God, for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. 
Uh, Lord, we're thankful to be with, with our loved ones. Uh, God, those that are so blessed to be so. and uh, God, we're thankful to be here with our church family this morning. Uh, God, what a, a blessing uh, that is. Uh, Lord, our hearts do go out. Lord, there are several, uh, God, this week that uh, we know of that have lost loved ones this week. And uh, so our hearts goes out to those families. And uh, God, we just lift them up in prayer. Uh, God, as we move into the, this uh, week of Christmas, uh, Lord, I pray, God, this morning the sermon would not just be, uh, would not just be a feel-good uh, Christmas uh, sentimental uh, type feeling, but God, you would have opportunity to shine the light of truth of Jesus Christ into our hearts. Uh, God, that we would approach this week with the opportunity, uh, Lord, not only to share, uh, Lord, but to abide in uh, the truth and the knowledge that you came to earth. Uh, God, that you, God, creator of all things, uh, stepped into flesh as a little baby. God, that you came as a man to redeem us, to pay our pardon. God, to suffer the wrath of the Father on our behalf. And so, Lord, we want to praise you. We want to thank you. God, in every Christmas season, as we look back on a baby in a manger, God, I pray that you would remind us through the Holy Spirit of the reality yet to come in time, Lord, that you will return as sovereign King and Lord. God, that you come as the Son of Righteousness and the Prince of Peace. God, we want to praise you for that this morning. God, as we remember your birthday, God, may we not just continue to consider you as a baby in a manger, but as we remember your birthday and celebrate who you are, God, we celebrate, Lord, what you will do and what you promised to do. Lord, we, by faith, trust your word. God, we wait for the day that our faith will be made sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So looking over at... Page 88 of your hymn, uh, Charles Wesley begins by transporting us to a time and a place. He wants to kind of move, he cries out, hark, the herald angels sing. Uh, now if I were to say, look, only a very few of you, actually maybe even none of you, actually looked. And the reason that is because I'm a preacher behind a pulpit. If it was any other setting, anywhere else, and I said, look, you would definitely have looked. Have you ever been in one of those situations where somebody's like telling you a story and as they're telling you a story they're, they're pretending that something is over there, you know, as they converse the story and you actually look like, what are they looking at? And then you figure out, oh, they're, they're telling me a story. Anybody else ever been there? Because you believe what's coming out of the mouths of people. You're looking for them and what they say. But for some reason when I stand behind the pulpit and I go, look, nobody looks. What, what is that? Thank you, Chris. Everybody, Chris is the only one that knows that I got the kids ready. There's four angels standing on that back pew, and none of you, there, there a couple, I got you. I had to lie to you, but it happened, right? So Wesley starts out by saying, hark, behold, stop, look, listen. He is wanting to transport you through time and space to a real time and place where God sent his angels as messengers to lowly shepherds who, as we just read, were living out in the field keeping their sheep. A magnificent thing. I, I think I can say with pretty good assurance that none of us have ever experienced such a thing. Uh, I, I, I like to be outdoors, but usually it's I'm chasing a ball when I'm outdoors. 
Uh, at night, when it's dark, I like to be indoors. That's just kind of how I am. I think about some of you hunters. Uh, some of you hunters like to get up in the dark and move out to a place and, and wait for the sun to come up. And maybe you go out in the evening and you wait for the sun to go down. The hunters are laughing and shaking their heads. So I, mean, I don't even know what hunters do, much less am one. But I dare say that none of you have ever been outside, maybe by the fire, observing the starlight, and were visited by a host of angels. And yet, these shepherd men, boys, were absolutely visited by a host of angels. We kind of came up in short last night. Angels, you ought to know, are God's messengers. They're God's messengers. They bring the message of God. That's what they do. That is their, their job. That is their purpose. On most occasions, when you see them in the Bible, their purpose, especially in every time in the New Testament, they are sent to carry a message from God. So I want you to know that there's a message, there's instruction, and there's information from God. From God. We take that too lightly, too often. I was kind of studying and, and thinking about the, the sermon and going different places. I was In my mind, I was contemplating the difference between the wise men who came from afar, right? They didn't get a message direct from God. They followed a star. They followed a, a I believe, supernatural phenomenon, but they had no direct message as the shepherds had. Right? The shepherds were in the same country with a direct message from God and were able to come and move in to worship him much quicker than the, uh, the wise men who saw his star in the east and came so far with so much uncertainty in search of assurance. And I contemplated the different ways that each of you have been afforded the word of God. Some of you may be raised afar. And late in your lives, God has brought you through a journey to come to Christ. Maybe some of you were raised in a nearby country under the word of God as I was regularly and often. And God used that to bring you to him as an, at an early age. No matter your background, no matter your story, it ought not to be a light thing that God in heaven sought you out with his word and his message and drew you to a place that allows you to worship His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what these angels did there in the field. So He starts by bringing you to this point, to this place. And then He moves into, I believe, the message, a rephrasing of Luke chapter 2, verse 14. If you have your Bible open, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Charles Wesley rephrases it, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. God, or excuse me, I skipped right over it. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Right? Glory to God in the highest. Glory to the newborn king. God alone is worthy of the highest recognition. They sing glory to God in the highest. They're not singing about Jesus. They're singing about God. Right? They're telling the message of God who gave His Son, who sent His Son. God who did come in flesh, but God who remains in the highest, but yet there is God here on earth as well, in the babe Jesus Christ. God is worthy of the highest 
recognition. But then he says, peace on earth and mercy mild. Look at verse 14 of Luke 2. And on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. This glory to God because His mild and merciful baby king brings an offering of peace between God and man. Sometimes we miss the truth that the message of Christmas is that we started a war against God. Adam in the garden set himself at odds against God by defying his command and by neglecting his good gifts. God put him in the garden and said, all these things are for you. And Eve, being tricked of Satan and Adam by choice, moves into a place where he neglects all the good gifts of God and says, I'd rather make choices for myself. And all of us, born in sin, live in sin, are born condemned, born in rebellion against God, and God, who we declare war against Him, doesn't annihilate us, but He sends His Son, His precious Son, His sinless Son, His perfect Son, His beloved Son who was loved before the world was ever even created. He sends Him as an offering to bring peace to us. Peace between us. Peace between God and man. God all-powerful. Able to squash us into annihilation. Not with any action, but if he would just stop sustaining us, we would all cease to exist. <laughs> but he doesn't choose to do that. He sends his son with the message of peace. Peace. John, or excuse me, Charles Wesley continues, God and sinners reconciled, joyful all ye nations rise. He wants to move. He, so these are the facts. God sent the message by the angels to the shepherds of peace on earth, goodwill towards men, glory to God in the highest. And so he moves towards our response. Joyful, all ye nations rise. Join in the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Under knowledge of what God has done for us, is that not just the most natural reaction? Should we not just join in the triumph? Should we not join in the joy? Should we not rise out of the muck, right, of sin? Rise out of the, the pitifulness of our lost estate to rise up and to joyfully join in chorus worshiping Him? That's what, that's what has been offered. Lift our heads from shame and defeat and move to glory and praise. He points to the truth that there is a great worship extravaganza in heaven, and we're invited to join in. Never think that God had to save us so that He would have somebody to worship Him. Right? All of heaven is filled with His praise. All of heaven is filled with His glory. All of heaven is filled with, his, with worship. Day and night, constant. His offering to us is not so that we can give Him something that He needs, but His offering to us is so that we can participate in the joy and wonder of something that He already has. 
And our invitation, there at the last of the verse, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Our invitation is in the form of the Savior of the world, Jesus the God-man, born in Bethlehem. I point you back to last week as we kind of explored a little bit of the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Maybe even it was two weeks ago. If God must save, then this Savior must be God. But if man must bear the punishment, then this Savior must be man. And at that, a sinless one. How in the world can these reconcile themselves? They reconcile only in Jesus Christ. The God-man. The real man. Born in Bethlehem. Can we just pause for a second and recognize the reality of Jesus Christ? Jesus of Nazareth, the actual historical figure that no historian on earth will try to deny you the reality of him and his life. Can we recognize that for a second? And looking at all the signs and wonders and confusion around his life apart from the record of Scripture, know that the answer lies in the deity and the humanity of the real man, Jesus Christ. Move into the second verse. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. He is the adored one. The only begotten of the Father. I'm going to read for you John 17, 24. Father, this is Jesus praying. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. I believe that Wesley is turning our minds to the truth. That Christ, Jesus Christ, was the already adored one sent to us. He didn't come to earn favor with the Father. He didn't come to earn the love of God the Father or earn heaven itself. He came... To earn it for us. He came to acquire it on our behalf. He needed nothing. He already had it. He laid down His glory to obtain or to complete the law and bring salvation to us. Late, or excuse me, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. He always has been and He always will be. He is the everlasting to everlasting, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Luke 1.33, this is again the messenger angel. He says, And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of His kingdom there will be no end. This is also prophesied in the Old Testament, Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will prepare this. As I prayed before, I want to turn your minds and turn your understanding that we do not just worship a baby in a manger. We worship the everlasting Lord. 
there are promises regarding the, the kingdom of Jesus Christ that have not yet been completed. And so you either can assume that it's not going to happen and you can lose faith or not come in faith to Jesus Christ, or you can come by faith and expectancy of the actual reality of the eternal kingdom that he is going to return and set up here on earth. He then sings, late in time. Late in time, behold him come. We talked again last week about the timeliness of Christ and how he came at the perfect time. But Hebrews, uh, then there's this, Wesley says, late in time. Well, well which is it? Was he late or was he, was he on time? Well, Hebrews 1, 1 says, God, who has at various times and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. I think Wesley is turning our minds that the coming of Christ is a reminder that we are living in the last days. And I say that to you, I'm not saying we're living in the end of days necessarily, but we are living in the last days. Late in time, the coming of Christ set, set this time and space. I was explaining this to our teenager just the other night. We live in the same era of time that the disciples lived in when Christ commissioned them before ascending into heaven. He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. All power has been given to me, so therefore you go. And we live in that same area of time. God, Jesus Christ, excuse me, has come, has completed and conquered all things on the cross and by his resurrection. And he says, all power has been granted to me. And do this until I return. Go and preach the gospel. We live in that late time, which is a marvelous time. It's a wonderful time where we can look back on what Jesus Christ has done and there's a time period of grace where Jesus said, I did this and now I'm going to wait and all this span of time is my patience and long-suffering because I'm not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. We live in a marvelous time. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. We'll get to more of this in just a little bit. And we've, we've tackled the virgin birth of Christ in recent weeks. But here Wesley alludes to that, continuing looking at this baby. He says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. I'll go to Exodus 33 for you. God speaking to Moses says, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Couple that with John 14, 9, where Philip is questioning Jesus. And he says, Show us the Father. And Jesus said, Have I been so long with you and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? You know, we regularly come into church and open up the Gospels and beat up the Pharisees, don't we? We beat them to death. 
they were the worst. They didn't understand anything, and they were against Christ, and they just, they were the absolute worst. And we sit here in New Testament churches, and we got it all figured out, and we're just so glad that we're not like them, and this is just great. Now we can go have lunch. Right? Jesus came and showed us the Father. If Jesus Christ had not come, you would be sitting there equally confused, equally burdened down, equally in a, uh, trying to fulfill the law in self-righteousness and unable to, uh, to overcome it in such a way that would drive you to a place where you want to put on a show and put on a front and put on a face if you didn't have the completion of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ. We, we have Jesus Christ veiled in flesh, but nonetheless we can see the Godhead through him and praise God that we can because without him we would be just as lost as those Pharisees. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, all hail the incarnate deity. To worship Christ is to worship God in the flesh. Never let anything less than that is heresy. Right? There are cults, there are heresies, there are religions that uphold Jesus as a great prophet. As a great man. As a miracle worker. As a messenger of God. As a doer of signs and miracles and wonders and a, an incredible speaker who taught us so much about God. But anything less than God in flesh himself and they fall short and they miss the point And they'll spend an eternity in hell for refusing the deity of Jesus Christ. All hell, the incarnate deity. Then he says, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Turn with me, keep your finger there in Luke if you would, but turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We've been in Philippians a lot over the past year and a half, I'd say. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those verses reveal to us where it says, and he, it's Jesus Christ being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. It's not as though Jesus looked at God the Father and said, I don't deserve to be on this plane. Kick me down to heaven. Right? But no, he humbled himself. He chose humility. And he came in servanthood. We looked at that at the gifts of God through Christ 
how Paul reveals him to us as his servant. A bondservant, even. He humbled himself and took on flesh as a man. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. God with us. We talked about how God was at war with us by our design and our choosing, but now God with us, how? Jesus. Right? It's not some you know, God with us, God in our hearts, God in our minds, God in our churches, God with us through Jesus. <laughs> right? There's, there's real and practical steps to what God has done throughout time and continues to offer for salvation. And it's Jesus, our Emmanuel. He continues in verse 3 with a call to worship the many purposes of this baby. He goes into names. Wesley does in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. He says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9 again, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and a name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. We talked about that to a degree, but he comes bringing not only an offering of peace between man and God, but he comes as ruler of peace, bringer of peace. And right now he offers peace between us and God, peace between man and man, and peace within our hearts. You know, we ought to exemplify within us, and I know that we do, if we're willing to look around as the world, if the world is willing to look on us. I know that we exemplify a peace that passes understanding. Right? A peace between men and women, a peace between husband and wives, a peace between father and son, a peace between mother and daughter, a peace uh, between uh, the one across the pew and the brother and sister in Christ, a peace that passes understanding, a peace that through the world's eyes and the world's ideology would say you don't need that relationship, cut that off, don't put up with that, get away from that. And yet in Christ, two brothers and sisters in Christ, relationships are saved. Marriages are saved. Family relationships are saved. Church relationships are saved. There's unity amongst the brethren. There's peace that the world doesn't understand. And even a step further than that, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, brings peace into our hearts. It's amazing how our flesh can be. It's amazing what the devil can do to us where he can put us in a place where we can't even be at peace with ourselves. place of no peace if you're not at peace with yourself if you're not at peace with your spouse or your loved ones if you're not at peace with God then you know that you have trouble having peace anywhere over anything in any circumstance 
but you know as children of God when you have peace with God and you allow that peace to reign in your heart and you have done all that is within you to have peace with those that are around you, leaving those things that are out of your control in the hand of God, knowing that He is sovereign and He is loving and He has purposes and plans, then you can have peace in any situation or circumstance. What a movement from no peace, no matter how luxurious and comfortable my situation is, to all peace and full peace, no matter how difficult and trialsome my circumstances are. And of course He brings peace in His eternal kingdom. He will come and bring and rule on this earth. He says in John 14, 27, I didn't turn there, but He says, My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. The world has all kinds of broken, misconstrued ways for you to try to gain peace in your life. God's, Jesus says, I don't leave you with the world's peace. I leave you with my peace. Peace that only he can bring. As we said in Luke 2, 14, peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Going back to the hymn, he says, Hail the head, more prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. I tried to bold and underline the you there of son of righteousness. Because probably you heard that before and sang that before and you thought, oh, he's the son, S-O-N, of God who is righteousness. No, he is the son of righteousness. Turn to Malachi. I want you to see this. Turn to Malachi 4. And as you're turning there, read for you for behold the day is coming burning like an oven and all the proud yes all who do wickedly will be stubble and the day which is coming shall burn them up says the Lord of hosts that will leave them neither root nor branch there is a burning coming right the Bible speaks and I don't believe the Bible is speaking figuratively here when it speaks of a day where Jesus comes as a burning, all-consuming fire. And wicked men who have not received Christ, wicked men who stand against God, they will be burnt up. They'll be like stubble in that fire. But verse 2, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, that's where Wesley is taking us here, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. This is why He says, Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. He both burns like an oven all those who do wickedly, but at the same time brings healing, light, and warmth. To those who believe in him. You know, the sun, the sun will do that, won't it? The sun will absolutely do that. I am the biggest sissy that there is when we go to the beach. 
I am laid on with the thickest lotion, the most highest SPF that there is. My family mocks me at the white streaks that are still there, and I say, it's okay. Protection. Because I hate being burned by the sun, because it will do it. I hate it. I can't sleep at night. I can't lay like I want to lay. I'm cold when the wind blows. I want to enjoy my walk on the beach. My wife calls me a child when I complain about, about and whine about how much it hurts. Emasculates me. And so I defend myself with the best and strongest FPS that I can possibly have. SPF that I can possibly have. SPS, that's not a thing. Or is it? And it's something bad. And Aaron's like, oh no. We know it will burn. But also, of course, we know that without it, there is no life. Without it, there is no life. Working out, if you work outside at all this time of year, you've experienced that movement from the sunshine to the shady side. And you go, oh, oh, I didn't realize it was that cold out here. Because the sun is giving you light and warmth. God through the prophet Malachi, compares his son, Jesus Christ, to the son of righteousness. When he comes as a blazing sun in his glory, he will absolutely burn up those that are not under the protection of faith in Jesus Christ. But for those who are protected, there's light and life. And he brings it to all. Who will bow before him? John 1, 4 and 12. We looked at this on Wednesday night. In him, John speaking of Christ, of course. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Jesus stepped down from his glory to give us eternal life, to raise us up to what God created us to be, and to give us a second birth and a second chance. That's what he concludes with here. Mild he lays his glory by. The son of righteousness in, in meekness and love lays that glory down and is born veiled in human flesh so that man does no longer have to die. He lays down that glory for a time so that we can be raised to what He created us to be, which is in fellowship with Him. That was the beauty of the garden. was that Adam and Eve walked with Him in fellowship with Him, in perfect union with Him, in a way that none of us have ever experienced by the cool of the day in His beautiful creation that He created for their benefit. And Jesus Christ laid down His glory, was born so that we no more would have to face the wrath of God, but that we could be raised and given a second birth in Jesus Christ and have life in His name. It saddened me when I opened our hymn book and found that this hymn book doesn't have the fourth verse in it. Come, desire of nations, come. You ever heard that? 
Fix in us thy humble home. Rise in us the conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now we face. Stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above. Reinstate us in thy love. Wesley ended his hymn in a prayerful conclusion. Come, desire of nations, come. Haggai 2.7, if you want to write this down. Thus says the Lord of hosts, once more it is a little while and I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Do a little study on Haggai. It's just two chapters. And you'll find... They had rebuilt the temple, they had rebuilt the walls, they rebuilt the temple, they dedicated the temple. But the glory of the Lord didn't feel it like it had before. It wasn't the same as it was before. The young ones were glad that, that the temple was rebuilt and they, they rejoiced and they praised God. But the old ones that knew, that had seen the story of the first temple that, where God so filled the temple that they, they had to get out. Physical, viewable, filling of the temple. Here it doesn't happen. But God gives a promise. He says one day, one day the nations of the world will be so shaken that those who love Him will desire Him to come and to fix it all and to put it all right. And to do away with all the terror and all the trouble and all the mistreatment and all the oppression and all the death and all the sickness and all the disaster. And they'll say, come desire of nations, come. And he will come and the promise here is I will fill this temple with the glory of of the Lord. Again, a glory that you and I have never seen, I do not believe, I've never experienced, and yet one day He will come in this way. That ought to be our prayer. We ought to be praying that even now. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The less we love the world and the more we love God, the more we're going to pray, so come quickly, Lord Jesus. And, G and God may do that by making us dislike the world, putting a bad taste in our mouths, at the same time, giving us a taste and a desire for Jesus himself. Come desire of nations, come fix in us thy humble home. We look forward to that day, but do you know, know ye not, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you desire that your body be filled with the glory of God? You might say, well, well, why? 
Why did he not fill that temple? And why is he going to fill that temple? And what, what did he take a break for? Because his temple during this last day is you and I. We're his temple. We're his temple. Casting Crown sings a song the boys learn to play. Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart? And when I ask that, don't just don't don't go sentimental on me. I want to know is your heart open to the filling of God? Or is it full of junk? Is it full of busyness? Is it full of, of cares? Is it full of other things that you love? Is your mind and your heart filled with so many things that are not Christ? that are not pure, that are not just, that are not praiseworthy. Is there room in your heart for Him to come and fill your heart with the kind of glory that He desires to? God never holds back from us. He bestows on us and gives us and fills us with His presence as much as we are willing to let it. No more. And no less. So our prayer is come, desire of nations come, fix in us your humble home. Rise in us the conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. This goes to the very first promise of Jesus' arrival from Genesis 3.15. Where God gives the promise, there as He is handing out consequences of sin, He gives the promise that there will be a capital S seed, born of woman, not of man, whose heel will be bruised by that serpent that tricked Eve, but He will crush the head of the serpent. Wesley internalizes that and says, Lord, Rise in us the conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. I'm thankful for what Christ did on the cross, but what Christ did on the cross enables you and I to let Christ rise within us, dwell within us, glorify God through us, through good works, through loving actions, through goodness and kindness and meekness and joy and rejoicing and thanksgiving. And in doing that, He rises within us and He bruises the head of that serpent. It concludes, I know you don't have it, but it says, Adam's likeness now we face. Erase within me that sin nature. And stamp your image in its place. What a great prayer. Whoever made this book and left chapter 4 out needs to get kicked. Adam's likeness now we face. Stamp thine image in its place. You conforms, stamps into the image of his son. Second Adam from above. Not like the first Adam, not born in sin, but a start of a new thing, a new race, a new people. 
those who have come, John 3, in a second birth. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. The message, the prayer of Christmas, the message, Jesus, second Adam, came down on Christmas Day to reinstate us into the love and fellowship of God. That's the message of Christmas. Jesus came to restore us into the love and fellowship of God. And the prayer, Lord, would you restore me? I thank God that by His goodness, we've talked about His greatness through this whole sermon, by His goodness, He will never deny that prayer. He will never deny that prayer. Let's all stand if you would. You've got your hymn books there if you want to use them. Shave's going to put it on the board for us as Aaron plays. Let's sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.